Gentlemen, welcome to No Budget Nightmares. This is Mo. He's a bad film hating while I skating all the while masturbating. That's Mo Pawn, yeah. And with me, as always, is the one and only Doug Tilly. He's Doug Tilly, number one super guy. Mo, we return here on No Budget Nightmares. Finally. Finally. And you know, it's kind of interesting. You know, we mentioned at the end of the most recent episode that this particular episode was a long time coming, and then it ended up being even longer of a time coming. Right. But now it's here. So Finally. Uh, I'm celebratory. I'm feeling very celebratory about this episode of No Budget Nightmares, which is, boy, you know what? I don't know what number it is, but if I had to guess 323? <laughs> <laughs> Something along those lines? It's what number we should be at. Yeah, well, whatever. Here's the thing, uh, ladies and gentlemen. No one's making us do it. <laughs> it's true. Uh, we're here out of the goodness and and love for the uh, love for the art, as they say, and that is why Mo, we're here looking backwards once again at not a not a sequel, but another film by a filmmaker featured very early on in the No Budget Nightmares kind of discography. Right. Who is this person? Tell me all about him. Uh, well, <laughs> like, I, like I know anything personal about him. I mean, it's Fabian Rush we're talking about. We covered So Morbid B on episode, uh, was it nine? Something like that. Like very no, nine was, ter- nine was Terror Tunes. I think it oh might have been like eight or somewhere between eight and 15. Either way, it was like seven fucking years ago. And so. this, is a, this is a momentous episode of No Budget Nightmares because it's one of the few cases in the history of his life that Mo uh, changed his opinion about a movie. It's literally the only time I've changed my opinion on a movie in the show's history. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't particularly care for some more to be the first time we watched it, but uh, I, for some reason I got, you know, uh, as the kids say, a stick in my craw uh, to to watch it again. And uh, I, I, I really enjoyed it a lot more the second time, maybe because I didn't have to, like, take copious notes and listen to us talk about it over and over and over again while I edited <laughs> But um, I like how our opinions about movies are completely untrustworthy because if we're irritated enough about the notes that we're taking, then we're yeah. not going to enjoy the movie. So you should yeah. take all of our opinions about anything we say with a massive mo, a massive grain of salt. Yeah, it, without a doubt. Um, well, but that's the funny thing is because normally I don't even generate my opinion about the movie. Like, I, I mean, obviously, we'll, me and you will like you know talk on Facebook about. Uh, about how we feel about it while we're watching it, but <laughs> sometimes, I, yeah, sometimes it's not all the time, but sometimes, and um, <laughs> but but honestly, like a lot of the times, like I don't even formulate my opinion of the movie until like we actually sit down to talk about it Absolutely. because you know a lot of these movies can be a little painful to watch, but they're super fun to talk about. So like you know, 
it, it sort of like changes how I feel about it. Which is, of course, what prompts some of our listeners to pick up movies which we have suggested are not a good idea to, to, to do. By the way, right. Mo, the reviews are in for our most recent episode. Number 122 is what it was. Uh, our episode about the film Metal Noir. Remember that movie? I remember not liking it. Well, uh, I don't think that's where you came down on that. <laughs> I, I remember saying that it was worth people checking out, but that I personally didn't care for it. I think maybe that's a little closer to the, yeah. uh, the truth. Well, the reviews are in from the director. <laughs> <laughs> he did not care for our episode. Apparently, we talked oh, well. too long, Mo, about the oh. movie. Oh, yeah, because that's something that's not something we ever do. We talked longer than the length of the actual movie. We Apparently, always do. We went into a little too much detail, Mo. And oh. uh, I didn't, uh, I mean, perhaps there were some comments about hyena-like laughter. I'm not saying that there were. In fact, there were not. But there could have been that <laughs> on top of it. But uh, apparently we just, my God, why couldn't we just get to it and tell them we didn't like the movie right from the beginning? <laughs> Here's yeah, the thing, I... listeners, and I'm talking to you too, Mo. Oh, yeah, please. We're in a, a very, we're in a, a awful situation here on No Budget Nightmares. Because... Yeah, it's it's terrible. Don't you feel terrible all the time? I know I do. Yeah, um, but that has nothing to do with the show. It's a bad situation because we are talking about movies that that a lot of people haven't seen. And we want people to listen to the show even if they haven't seen the movie. It's ideal that they would, but in some cases they even can't see the movie. Right. So we need to go into detail about the movies to the point where you, the listener, can at least somewhat picture what we're seeing. We're telling you the story of the movie, and that requires a little bit of time. Yeah, and and honestly, like we we really do go into like a painful amount. Yes, of we min- do. We're ridiculous. Minutia, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it it, it but. When I explain to people what we do here on No Budget Nightmares, their response is often, hey, that doesn't really make any sense. And you know what? They're right. (laughs) If we had been intelligent right from the beginning, we would have picked the most popular shot on video and ultra low budget and micro budget movies and then just did like half hour episodes talking about them and reviewing them. And we would have a much more popular and well-received podcast. But it's too fucking late now. We're on episode 123. One, two, three, Mo. The specialist episode. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, we're yeah we're specialists, all right. <laughs> Speaking of our beloved listeners, Mo, um, mm. this don't consider this a plug, uh, though you you might you can actually you know what consider it a plug. <laughs> uh, Room Org, the magazine, Mo, you know Room Org. Uh, I'm familiar. Very well known and well respected horror magazine. Well, Room Org recently launched a uh, video on demand service, uh, mm. a horror based service called the Midnight Movie Society, and it has. A shockingly large number of films that we've covered here on No Budget Nightmares. Um, uh-huh. I, I cannot, uh, at this point, vouch for the quality of, of, in terms of the presentation. I can, I can vouch for the quality of the movies, and by that I mean, <laughs> do not watch them. <laughs> <laughs> but if you've been curious about recent, um, recent features on No Budget Nightmares, like Where the Dead Go to Die or um, Ant Farm Dickhole, or you know, what? in fact, a significantly surprisingly large portion of the Bills Above filmography is on this Ugh. streaming service. But there's right. quite, a, quite a few of the films that we've covered here on the show are on the service. Hey, it, it, it's cheaper than seeking out these movies individually. How, and, uh, mm-hmm. how many of these movies that, that, that are on there, if you happen to know off the top of your head or give me a rough estimate, 
How many of the movies that are on there are movies we actually enjoyed? Ooh, boy. Well, there's lots of... I Just to make it very clear, there's lots of great movies on there. Oh, it's I'm not sure. all micro-budget uh, material. It's not all super low-budget. Uh, and they have the recent American uh, guinea pig movies, which I actually okay. haven't gotten into yet, but yeah. uh, but the, if they're available to watch on there. So there's more, certainly a lot more well-received stuff. But okay. I, I have to say that from a... Um, preliminary look <laughs> most of the films that are there uh that we've covered on the show at least recently are well let me just give you an example mo one of the films that that uh uh really stuck out to me was a little movie called the amazing bulk <laughs> really oh yeah you can wow. watch the amazing bulk right now uh just go over to uh, just do a search for midnight movie society and uh you could be doing that right now instead of listening to No Budget Nightmares. I don't recommend you do that. Why were you uh, thinking of doing that? Uh, yeah, oh, no, I don't know about that one. Well, be that as it may, uh, we want to throw our support behind any streaming service that uh, profiles and showcases ultra-low-budget films, even if some of them are total garbage. Uh, because we want... Th- I-, I think they are trying to position themselves as an alternative to something like Shudder, which tends to... Uh, and I love Shudder, but it tends to have a little bit of a more polished and higher-budgeted uh, version of, of horror on it. And this is yeah. something a little bit little bit dirtier, a little bit down in the murk. And when, when it comes down to down in the murk mode, that's where I want to be. That's where I belong. <laughs> I want to be down in the murkin. It's, yeah, that's right. I'm going to be face <laughs> deep in the murkin. That's exactly. Mo, let's yeah. get away from this sort of content. We need to talk about <laughs> the film Pantheon Black from director Fabian Rush, who, as you mentioned, we did cover his movie So Morded Be Lo so many years ago. And Fabian uh, is, actually, I've interviewed him in the past. Very nice guy, very talented guy. And we had announced a very long time ago, though not quite as long as when we did the episode, that eventually we were going to cover Fabian's follow-up film, (laughs) Pantheon Black, from the year 2010, Mo. Whoa. Mo, what were you doing in 2010? Um, Let's see. In 2010, Mm -hmm. I was uh, doing pretty much the same thing I was doing in uh, in 2009 and 2011, 2012, 2013. Mm. Uh, and that was uh, living a loathsome, sad, and depressing life. Oh. Uh, yeah. You know, in, in Spanish, that's called living la vida loca. No, it's not. <laughs> living the sad, pathetic life. No, yeah. you're right, Mo. Well, that's a shame because I'll tell you what uh, what director Fabian Rush was Living la, la dolce vida. <laughs> uh, Fabian Rush was making a, a ultra-low-budget science fiction movie shot almost entirely against green screen. In fact... Uh, I guess entirely against green screen. No, with, no. There's there's like two or three shots right. that are mm-hmm. that are live action, and it's so off putting it, when, they, when they pop up. Yeah. But for the most part, shot almost entirely against the green screen, and with a with a crew of just Fabian and his brother making this really kind of expansive and uh, mythos heavy science fiction movie. Hmm. <laughs> and Mo's hmm would suggest to you that whether it's successful or not <laughs> uh, might be in the eye of the beholder. I, I do want to say right from the beginning that I give this movie points for ambition. Sure. They were trying to do something extremely difficult with meager resources, doing with a lot of special effects. I mean, this is a very special effects heavy movie because a lot of it is CG. Almost all the backgrounds are just, there's almost no sets in the entire movie. Right. Um, so there's obviously so much effort that's been poured into this thing. 
<laughs> now let's tear it apart. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. But we will now start, Mo. Unless you have something else to say to the people out there. Nope. So start talking about Pantheon Black from the year 2010. Let's do with this. And I want to bring up right from the beginning uh, that uh, Fabian Rush, I just recently discovered, has a connection with another no-budget nightmares favorite director, Mo. It was very exciting. Mm, always I was, exciting. Mm-hmm, I was looking at some of his most recent work, and Fabian uh, is part of a some sort of industrial metal band or something like that. But recently he put together a uh, feature-length rock opera film, and it looks very interesting. I have not watched it yet. I did post it over on the No Budget Nightmares Facebook group. And in that film, uh, it features a renowned director, Drew Boldick, who, of course, is the director of The Taint, also featured yeah. on No Budget Nightmares, and Science Team. And uh, he, he has a recent film that just came out that looks actually very interesting as well. Um, and he is in that film playing H.P. Lovecraft, the famous uh, <laughs> author slash racist slash anti-Semite. Mm. Um, and he's in that. And also, I discovered that Fabian is in a couple of uh, Drew's movies, including The Taint, though I don't remember, remember him actually uh, appearing in it. Apparently he plays one of the misogynists in the movie. So uh, sure. a nice little, nice little crossover. I love, I love seeing it. And if you can't see me right now, and I know you can, I've got my fingers in a V shape, like a V for victory, and another one, and I'm sliding them together as if they, <laughs> fit, <laughs> they fit together perfectly, is what I'm saying. Uh, it's a double V for victory. Like Scissor Sisters. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Gonna take your mama out. Okay. Um, wow. <laughs> Mo porn. Yeah. The film Pantheon Black starts with a quote, <laughs> which I'm sure you will recite to us right now. Actually, my notes right here say Q Doug for quote. <laughs> when all the world recognizes beauty is beauty, this in itself is ugliness. When all the world recognizes good is good, this in itself is evil. That, of course, is a quote from Lao Tzu from Tao Te Ching. Uh, and I think I see how it reflects on the movie proper. <laughs> no. It's a quote. It's a, a, a very interesting quote. But I'll tell you what's more interesting than a bunch of text on a screen, Mo. What's that? Space. The final frontier? Mm-hmm. And that's mm. what we get. A bunch of space. Uh, a lot of special effects, Mo. And uh, what I have here is late. Late era Babylon 5 quality special effects. Accurate. <laughs> and then we see an eyeball. What's unique about this eyeball? Well, the eyeball has, each eyeball has two sets of pupils. That's weird. That's not how an eyeball normally would work. Not normally, no. Then we get, uh, and it, I mean, this is all, it's just kind of strange, um, j- just strange images to start off. So we get this eyeball, then we get a severed arm, Mo. Yep. And then the uh, the eyeball looks directly at the camera, and then it all turns completely red. Mo, what could it possibly represent? Uh, I don't know, blood, something. I don't know, <laughs> blood. Well, red sometimes does represent blood. Wow. Then we are introduced to one of our lead characters. Mo, this is Ramon, uh, and we see him. He has a gun in his hand, and he seems very upset. We see he he runs into a room and closes a door behind him, and the <laughs> he camera. Says, hey, yo. <laughs> he <laughs> he's the bad guy. <laughs> the um, bad guy. The camera sweeps in right through like a notch in the door, right around him, Mo, and he's very agitated. It's like something is chasing him. Yes. <laughs> what do you think about this uh, special effects in this opening sequence here? Um, 
I, I, I don't know. I like, I, I have a hard time with movies that are just 100% CG like this, mm-hmm. you know, like, like if it's done really, really well, then I can kind of put up with it. But these are, I mean, I'm not going to say these are bad. I'm just going to say they're not great. So it's, it takes me out of what's happening. If you lived through the mid 1990s and played mm. CD-ROM computer games, which yeah. had like full motion video, that's the kind of thing that you're seeing here. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty accurate. It's very PlayStation One. Mm-hmm. Um, I also I just want to bring up quickly. There's a movie from 2018 uh, called The Laplace's Demon, which is all shot um, against a green screen, just like this movie with all CG exteriors. And I will say that this movie does not necessarily compare well to that. However, in in this movie's defense, it is nine years later with the technology that comes with it. Ramon is very upset. Something is chasing him. And then he turns towards it and says this. You're not going to get me. You're not going to get me. Then Ramon takes the gun mo, puts it in his mouth, and he pulls the trigger. Mm-hmm. Pantheon Black! It's black. It's the Pantheon. Opening credits, Mo. It goes. I would have. I would have loved if that was the actual theme song. Wouldn't that have been amazing? <laughs> Pantheon black. <laughs> and instead, some sort of quasi-industrial music plays in the background. We get our opening credits. Nothing really of note to say about them. Uh, it does, of course, say that the movie is directed by Fabian Rush, who was also playing Ramon in that opening scene. Now, mm-hmm. I think we need to get this out of the way right off the top, Mo. This movie is all shot against green screen. Yep. H- however, the quality of that work and the compositing of the people on those screens leaves something to be desired. It's poor. It's, I hate to say it, but there are times where the image, the background image is bleeding through the actor's heads. And right. Like, like you can see. Or the there's, edges. or there's parts where like, there's like, I mean, like a full half foot of space around them where there's no background image at all, which really gets irritating at times. It's, um. Uh, it's yeah, it, it does get frustrating. I mean, you get used to it because it, it's the whole movie. Right. Uh, speaking as someone who was doing some green screen work right around this time, actually a few years before this, it I believe, at least in our experience, it all comes down to the lighting of the green screen proper and making yeah. sure that, that, that it has to be so w- well lit and so flat that, that you really, you know, and, and that the body, the human body, stands out perfectly. Uh, and the outline can be created and the composite can work. But in this case, boy, it just does not work. It doesn't. Uh, but so just get used to that, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, after the opening credits, Mo? You stopped halfway through a sentence. <laughs> I just wanted you to say, yep. Yep. Space. So we get to see our spaceship in action. Uh, most of this movie uh, will take place on this uh, spinning spaceship in space, Mo. Yep. We are introduced to some of the cast, including the captain of the ship. His name is Leon Mo, and he's talking to someone on a uh, video screen, and he's talking to a guy named Dr. McPherson. What's this Dr. McPherson all about? So he's this big old fucking nerd who uh, they want to study something in the asteroid belts because they think that there was a... um, What's the term I'm looking for? A civilization that lived on a planet between Mars and Jupiter. 
Yeah. And that's kind of his whole deal. He's he's there to do a little investigating. He wants to check out some of the asteroids that are there to see if he can find any signs of an ancient civilization. Right. So the reason that Leon is talking to the doctor is that there's not many ships that would be willing to go so close to the asteroid belt. Right. Uh, and, and they are uh, a little more desperate. But the doctor is very concerned because he knows that the ship has recently uh, suffered some budget cuts which means that Leon has hired some university grads in order to run his ship. I mean, but come on, he 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 assures them that they're professionals. <laughs> yes, he says, my crew is professional. I want to stop just for before we get to uh, the next hilarious moment in this movie uh, to talk about two things. One is that the quality of the acting in this movie is, I would say, inconsistent, but some of the actors are like really good. Did you notice that? Am I am I alone in thinking that? No, there's some there's some good acting in this. I mean, yeah, it's they they kind of shine in the uh, the shit that is everything else. But there are some uh, oh, there's some pretty boy. decent actors in here. Well, Robert Prego, who plays Leon, I think he's particularly good, and it's uh, not surprising to see that he's had he ha- he works a lot. He he's done tons of television work, a lot of film work. Uh, he, he's like a seasoned actor. Um, and he actually, it, I mean, he, he, he does a very good job in a fairly thankless role in this kind of captain position. Right. Because the rest of the crew, Mo, are a little more goofy. And we know that because when he says that this crew is professional, we cut immediately to a hollow stripper, Mo, or holo stripper, <laughs> if you will, uh, a holographic stripper, Mo. Right. Tell me about this stripper. What, what do we, what do we, uh, what do we see here? It's a woman taking off her clothes. I mean, what else do you expect of a stripper? I'm not going to describe every inch of her visible body. Yeah, no, tell me much. more about her. I'm, I'm, I just want to hear you describe. I, b- I believe she has fake breasts, if memory mm-hmm. serves. Probably. Other than that, whatever. While they're watching her, Ramon is there. He's eating some sort of weird white cotton candy looking stuff. Maybe it's fiberglass insulation. <laughs> So they're watching. It's uh, it's Ramon and Pete, who's the pilot. Uh, they're watching this this hollow stripper, and then uh, one of the other crew members, Nadramia, comes in and she pours water onto their equipment, and sparks shoot out of it. And uh, she says, "I'd appreciate it if you let me sleep." <laughs> and they seem very all right, upset. Ivan Drago. <laughs> Jesus. Well, no, explain Nadramia to me, Mo. If it dies, it dies. <laughs> Um, she's the, uh, security slash tech support, basically. Yes. Uh, which seems to me like that's a lot to put into one person's, you know, I, uh, itinerary. Uh, she's in charge of keeping the ship safe, but she's also the, apparently the only person who knows how to fix pretty much anything on the ship. And the suggestion is that things are breaking all the time on the ship. Well, yeah, because she keeps pouring water on them. <laughs> well, Nadramia goes back to the room that she, uh, I don't know if she lives in or was working in, and the other female on the ship, Josephine, is there. She's doing some painting. She thanks Nadramia for shutting up the men, uh, and Nadramia says next time it's her turn. Uh, what's Josephine all about, Mo? She is the uh, medical officer. Um, she is a uh, Christian. <laughs> We, we find that out later. That's pretty much all you need to know about this character. <laughs> pretty much. And and that she paints. Yes, absolutely. And, and, Which, I, not, yeah. I mean, that's not that important. So It's uh, not. 
we cut back to Leon. He's assuring the doctor that he's in good hands, and the doctor says that he'll be arriving in 10 hours. Now, the other thing, we've now mentioned all the crew members uh, to one extent or another, but there's one other element on the ship that we should talk about, Mo, which is that it has a computer, and the computer <laughs> has a voice. Uh, I don't know if I have any of the voice captured in this. I mean, I think we have a little bit in just a little bit. How would you describe the voice, Mo? Oh, my God, it's rough. It's really rough. Ugh. I, I I mean I I like if I could do an impression of the voice I would but it's like it's impossible it's like it's like somebody took an audio tape and then like dragged it through the mud and then digitized it it's near it's it's pretty much incomprehensible which is difficult because I went back yeah. like to listen to some of it like over and over again and I watched this movie twice and it there's some parts of it where I cannot understand what the computer is saying right. And they even make a little bit of a joke about it. But anyway. So a little bit later, they're waiting for the doctor to arrive. Pete is talking to Leon about the periodic table. Uh, you know, very interesting dialogue. Uh, Leon seems as uninterested as I was. <laughs> mm, right. And basically tells Pete not to embarrass him in front of the client. Uh, Ramon is upset still with Nadramia. Uh, they're in, I think, his quarters. Uh, he's upset at her. Tells her never to pour water on his stuff again. And then he has... This nice little piece of dialogue. You know, if I wanted to come back, I'd wiped it off your face. <laughs> In a piece of dialogue that's most reminiscent of So More to Be, uh, mm-hmm. Ramon says that incredibly awful thing. But the suggestion from that, by the way, is Nadramia and Ramon are knocking boots. Wait, is it? Yeah, they're having some sort of sexual relationship. Oh, I did not pick that up from that at all. Well, it's it becomes a little more explicit later on. At the well, very... yeah, when they when they fucking explain it. <laughs> but I think the idea is not to not to uh, uh, to dissect Gossamer here on the Nova Genevers podcast, but it would be hard to get your comeback from someone's face unless you were having consensual sex with them. Oh, I'm, okay. <laughs> all right, I guess, I mean, I don't know if we're all in agreement on this, but that's how I'm going to interpret what happens. Sure. So you could hear him scream in pain because Nadramia is no pushover. She grabs him in a very painful manner and he basically cries out. I don't know. Some people like that sort of thing. Yes. Don't we know, Mo? <laughs> <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't saying me. So uh, he tells her to go ahead. He's just, he needs to recover from the pain. A ship then arrives. Um, now, there's one other thing I want to bring up about the special effects in this movie. There's some weird aspect ratio issues. Have, did you notice this while watching the movie, Mo? Yeah. So sometimes people's heads seem unnaturally stretched uh, vertically. And, uh, and and sometimes when, when shots uh, are cut together, they don't match up in terms of the aspect ratio, particularly with the special effects outside, which seem to be shown in a different aspect ratio. Like this right. isn't the sort of thing that would necessarily bother everybody, but certainly the fact that people's heads and bodies seem to be squished in an unnatural way is something that you might notice while watching this. Yeah, it feels like that Paula Abdul video where she was trying to make people think she was still thin. <laughs> You know I know what I'm talking about it's promise of a new day. I know yeah, exactly you. the video. You're talking about. <laughs> what what a horrible way to describe it that is also very accurate. Yeah. <laughs> 
so the next sequence, as the Doctor arrives, is the first time that we see all of the crew together. And by together, of course, they were shot separately and now have been composited. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, so, but it's kind of interesting. The other difficulty with some of this green screen work is that sometimes characters are supposed to be in a shot with other characters. However, when they were filmed, maybe they were a little closer or further away from the camera. And it, there's been some difficulty making the perspective work correctly. Uh, right. that, that was a problem with Nadramia's... Is that what her name is? <laughs> Nadramia, yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah, that was the issue with Nadramia when she was pouring the water on the equipment. She was she looked weirdly close to the rest of the crew that she was in the shot with. That That mm-hmm. is a kind of a consistent problem. All right, I think I got some of the issues out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> so Dr. McPherson arrives. Uh, Leon introduces the crew. Uh, he introduces Dr. McPherson as a award-winning astrophysicist. And uh, since he introduced the crew, and even though we've already done it ourselves on the show, Mo, let's have a little listen to who they are. Our pilot, Pete. Josephine, our medic. Nadramia handles security and can fix any mechanical object on the station. Making her our resident handyman and gunslinger. And gunslinger. Ramon is in charge of all holographic applications and tracking equipment. We'll be working very closely with him. Well, great. If uh, everyone will follow me to the conference room, get this briefing underway. So that's a good overview of who these characters are. I should mention, by the way, and you'll hear it in a bit, Nadramia, the reason I did do that Ivan Drago voice for her is that (laughs) she is Russian and speaks with a Russian accent in this uh, movie, Mo. Mo, how would you describe this actress's Russian accent? Um... Well, it's no Ivan Drago, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> but, I mean, frankly, what is? Yeah, well, exactly, you know. <laughs> it's inconsistent, I would say. I must break you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> though, though perhaps closer to that than your average actual Russian person. Right, exactly. So the doctor explains what you've already explained, Mo. Basically, that five years ago, fossils were found on asteroids. Uh, they're there to check it out. Uh, the doctor is there specifically to study some smaller asteroids, and they're going to head to the asteroid belt to check them out. Uh, this must have been a point in the film where I said, I'm tired and I'm going to go to bed, because my notes here say, the doc is giving a lecture about fast fossils on, ast- on asteroids. Everyone is falling asleep. So am I. I'll finish this, I'll finish this later. <laughs> I'm going to ask you at this point, Mo, maybe to wake you up right now for the recording. Please, yes. Uh, what movies does Pantheon Black most resemble to you? Uh, resemble or trying to resemble? Well, let's say, let, what are some movies that came to mind while watching it? I mean, I know they're definitely trying to have a, 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 an alien feel. Certainly. I mean, the, um, it, the alien, I think, is the number one reference point. You know, even yeah. the idea of, of a crew that are just like, workmanlike and everyday people right um as for that i mean i don't know i i can't think of anything off the top of my head but i also have the brain of a fucking goldfish. i uh you know i watched event horizon for the first time in a long time last oh week. yeah okay okay <laughs> there are elements of that in here as well so if you kind of combine those two things boy you would probably think you'd see something really cool <laughs> uh-huh. Anyway, Leon talks to uh, Nadramia, tells her about running a backup generator. Anyway, none of this is important at all. Uh, but the important thing to note is that Nadramia's got to fix some stuff. Leon's going to send Josephine up to help her. 
Ramon, because he's the hologram guy, he's showing the doctor how the equipment works that he's going to be working with, uh, how they can magnify parts of the asteroid. But the doctor seems to be most interested in the uh, the voice uh, activated computer system, which leads to this exchange. Is there an automated voice to confirm my commands? You mean like one of those sexy British voices to be like, <laughs> yes, doctor, no processing. <laughs> Hold on a second. Computer, please say hello to Dr. McPherson. Well, there you go. You, you get a sense of when the voice <laughs> is there. And that's, remember, that was easy to understand because you knew exactly what the computer was saying. <laughs> yeah. It isn't so easy in other parts of the, uh, of the movie. No, that voice is some garbled nonsense. It really is. So uh, the doctor seems disappointed. I should mention, by the way, that though the uh, doctor seems like a kind old fella, uh, the actor who plays him is very not good. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's terrible. Um, so Ramon walks the doctor through more of the system um, and uh, says that they're all kind of used to the computer voice. The reason that it's all screwy is because a fuse blew and only Nadrami is the person who can fix it. Nadramia, she's working on the generator. Josephine uh, basically asks her, I don't know what the suggestion is supposed to be here, Mo. So Josephine yeah, asks... Yeah, see, see, what I got out of this was that, I mean, originally, when when the scene starts and she starts talking... Okay, so Josephine asks Nadramia if she wants to sit for a painting. Right. So what I'm getting out of this is Josephine wants to bang Nadramia. Now that is uh, Mo. Just what? because someone wants to paint somebody doesn't mean that they want to have sex with them. I'm going to make that very clear here on the Double Your Neighbors podcast. Look, look, look. <laughs> I, I've been doing photography for a very long time. <laughs> and there were several instances where I asked somebody if they wanted to sit for me specifically because yeah, but I Mo, wanted to have sex with Mo, you were a baby photographer. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> That is arguably the most fucked up thing you've ever said on this show. <laughs> uh, but we're just having fun here on the No Budget Nightmares podcast. No, but look, photographers don't have sex with the people that they're taking uh, photographs of all the time. And I, and, and I never did because, you know, I'm a fat, ugly dude. So <laughs> anyway, anyway. But, these are, the, but in this the case, point, these are yeah. young, attractive women. Exactly. And, and if one in a piece of dialogue that was left in a film, makes a suggestion like this, there is a... Um, th- you can read into it what you were yeah, suggesting, Mo. There's a certain implication, yeah. The implication, that's right. Yeah, the implication. <laughs> Nadramia says that she's not here to make friends. Uh, she's here to work. But Josephine suggests that she does find time for play because um, she, they, she knows about her semi-relationship with Ramon and even makes a very uncomfortable suggestion, which is... Hey, if you want it, I'll just give you some birth control pills. Right? Yeah, right. Also, it's the future, right? And right. Mm-hmm. Uh, come on. Anyway, uh, well, we're all pro. We're all pro choice here. I would hope so. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> listeners, if you're not, <laughs> you're not welcome on the No Budget Network. <laughs> You'll never be a guest on this show. You and almost everybody else. <laughs> so Nadrami just stares at her because she's probably both confused and offended, as anyone would be. Josephine tells her to relax, but then something explodes, um, and and Nadramia says, Ramon is nothing, I'm professional. And Josephine's response is, you really don't like me, do you? And why would she? 
The yeah, driver right. asks her to pass over the screwdriver. She says you can get it yourself, and then she just leaves, and then something else explodes. Nadramia, uh, unlucky in love, unlucky in her ability to keep the ship from exploding. <laughs> but lucky in other regards. Pete tells Leon, remember Pete is the pilot, he tells Leon that they have arrived at the asteroid belt. Uh, Ramon is sitting in the uh, lab and uh, doing searches for asteroids using kind of like a minority report interface where he's like, right. <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of... Uh, hovering in the air, and he can... Anyway, it it does not look that great, but I'm going to cut it a lot of slack here. It's so, trying. So they're looking for specific kinds of metal uh, in some of these asteroids, and the computer is unable to recognize some of the metal on some of these asteroids, and the doctor is very confused and interested in it. So they engage a robotic clamo to grab hmm. one of the asteroids... <laughs> And bring it on board. <laughs> How is this accomplished? Oh, God. Oh. I can't. I yeah. can't with this it's, fucking look, I, claw. If you knock every bit of CG in this, you wouldn't stop knocking I, stuff. Yeah, that's the problem. Yeah, so, so basically they have this sort of like rocket-powered claw that goes out, grabs it, and pulls it back onto the ship. It's It looks fucking ridiculous. It really yeah, does. It, it doesn't look that great. But the main thing to get across is the doctor wants an asteroid. He has one. It's on the ship. He's basically going to be left to uh, to work on on the, uh, the 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 asteroid himself to figure out mm. what's going on with it. So he does that. He enhances a section of the asteroid, and he starts to realize that what he thinks are fossils on them are not fossils at all. Mo. What are they? They are glyphs. <laughs> they are they're glyphs. They're some sort of symbols. I don't know why I said it like that, but yeah, they're glyphs. And his response, I mean, he's very impressed by this. He says, This is amazing. <laughs> Quality. <laughs> it is pretty amazing, though. Um, so he asks the computer to cut off a portion so he can start deciphering these glyphs. And when he cuts off a piece of the asteroid, Mo, what do we see? I don't even fucking remember. Um, eyeballs, Mo. Oh yeah, yeah, eyeballs. That's the we one. see those eyeballs from the beginning. They just kind of—it looks really terrible, actually. They just start blinking mm-hmm. and staring at the doctor, uh, and just like at the beginning, they have the two pupils in their uh, eyeball. Oy. So apparently, whatever is in this asteroid has some sort of psychic abilities because suddenly the doctor is no longer on the ship, Mo. He's transferred mentally into a Nobel Prize ceremony. Uh, which is uh, a woman is talking about how he found conclusive evidence that there was an inhabited planet between Mars and Jupiter. And as the woman is saying this little speech, she she actually, for a few frames, she turns into a demon. Uh, we know that there's something up with her. And also because how did the doctor get here? So she says right. this to the doctor. Hello, Dr. McPherson. You've done a great job. I just have one question for you. How do I operate the probe? Pardon me? The probe. Hmm? How do I operate it? I want to bring more asteroids onto this vessel. So you probably get the idea of what's happening here. He's been brought into this fantasy so she can kind of get the information from him about how to bring more asteroids onto the ship Mo. Right. It's kind of a not a great method of doing it because the doctor immediately knows that he should not be there and is very confused by what she's trying to do. Yeah. So... When she realizes that the doctor does not... Of, of mm-hmm. course, the irony is that he's, she, he still tells her. Yeah. 
You know, he's like, ah, oh, Ramon knows. Great. Well, he doesn't necessarily think that there's anything wrong at this point. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's a doctor. He sees some weird shit in his time. But that's what he tells her. He tells her that Ramon is the person who is able to do that. And basically this woman is like, then you must be useless then. So then she turns into a demon, Mo. Yes. Tell me, Mo, the demon, oh the villain in the movie Pantheon Black, what does she look like? She's basically a shadow yes. with red eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she kind of zips around the screen as if made out of electricity. Right. Like uh, that gremlin she... from Gremlins too. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> An electricity gremlin. It's in the movie. Um, that fucking ridiculous movie. Anyway. Yeah, uh, She her. can also, yeah, that, that's her. She can uh, shoot lightning bolts out of her hands. She has uh-huh. weird telekinetic powers, uh, all sorts of crazy science defying things. So she says, once the uh, fantasy has ended, she says the walls paint them red. And then what happens to the doc mode? <laughs> uh, she uh, removes his arms and legs. And uh-huh. as a, flo- as a floating head and torso, uh, starts spurting blood, basically. In these early days, we actually, yes, see blood squirting out of these limb holes. And I uh, I must tell you, ladies and gentlemen, n- does not look very good. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, but a nice attempt, all the same. So, the creature crawls fully out of the asteroid. Like you said, it's, a, it's basically just a big shadow. Uh, mm-hmm. And has the glowing red eyes and kind of snake-like hair. Um, yeah. Sort of like the... Remember that television show Reboot? <laughs> uh, no. Reboot was... I mean, computer... I remember the show, but I never watched it. There was a computer-animated show called Reboot in the uh, mid to late 90s. It was, I believe it was the first or one of the first all-CG... Uh, it was... It, 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 no, it was. It was the first completely CG television show. And I believe it was actually animated here in Canada, Baboom. Uh, but there were two villains on that show, a male villain and a female villain. And the female villain could, like, swap her face around and stuff. The villain in this kind of reminds me of her, though I cannot tell you what her name is or really anything else about that character. Mm. But I will say that the character in this movie, this demon woman, she talks like this. Cherish your mortality, and the gods may live vicariously through you. I mean, the I way really... she says, the way she says vicariously drives, drove me fucking. I, I wasn't going to bring it up because everyone pronounces things differently. And look, I've been, uh... I've, I've been told on the podcast, Mo, that sometimes I pronounce things incorrectly. Oh, you? <laughs> Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Who was it who uh, directed Fungicide again? Uh, fungicide? You mean Fungicide? Uh, exactly. That's, that's Dave Was. Cavage. <laughs> <laughs> Just hear mispronouncing people's names to their faces. Yeah. Um, so anyway, this creature, this demon, gets very frustrated. She tries to access the computer system, but she can't uh, because it's locked out. And she's like, Ramon, locate Ramon and bring him to me. And the person she's telling to do this is the uh, torso of this doctor. This movie's weird. It's kind of a weird movie, and honestly, it's going to get a lot more fucking weird. Yeah. A lot more. So, uh, Leon is with the crew. 
they're basically he's basically giving them um, uh, directions in regards to staying out of the doctor's hair. It's really important that they make this trip comfortable for him, um, and uh, and he tells them that they have to do some new work assignments. Basically, they need to be more diligent with doing maintenance and all that sort of stuff. Doesn't really matter. Yeah. Leon says that sometimes it feels like he's in hell, Mo. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Nadrami is on garbage duty, and he says, Ramon. 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 No more strippers. What? Until further notice. <laughs> so that's another thing about this movie, Mo. It's funny sometimes. It has some moments. Yeah, it has some moments. And the thing is, I really wish... They had leaned heavier into the comedy sure. in some ways, though the the story that they're trying to tell would not support that. Because no. when things get serious in this, they get super serious, like end of the world serious. Yeah, like gun in your mouth about to pull the trigger serious. Yeah, so it's it's a really weird tonal shift because, yeah, that is what this movie is. But there's also hollow strippers and, you know, and, and some of those comments are, are really goofy. It's almost like it wants to be like a Firefly type crew I was with... just gonna fucking make a Firefly reference. Yeah, exactly. That's well, what I did it feels first, like. Mo. I was there. I know first. you did. I know you did. But that's because you talk so much more than me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got anything else to say, Mo? <laughs> uh, no. Just that after that, we cut immediately to Pete watching strippers. He's watching a stripper hologram. Someone buzzes his door. He says, "Who's there?" Then he gets up. Doesn't see anyone, but he does see like a flash of electricity or something like that. Back with the crew, Leon is still talking to, to them, and then the lights go off. Uh, he asks Nadrami to explain what happened. She says that the main power went off, but they'll, the backup generator will kick in, and then she could run a diagnostic. It does turn back on, and we see briefly through one of the windows in this, uh, in this room the doctor's face. It's so fucking bad. <laughs> and uh, then she says, see, nothing to worry about. And then all of them can see him, Mo. So, just to explain what's happening here, this is like a conference room that they're sitting in, and the doctor is a floating torso that just is kind of glitching around. It's screaming silently in pain. Yeah. It looks really weird, and it sounds like this. Something came out of the asteroid. Something came out of the asteroid? When in doubt, repeat what the floating torso says. I wish they would repeat everything the fucking computer said instead. Um, <laughs> so they're all very confused about this floating torso. Yeah. Um, they all look at each other. It looks really strange. Again, because they were all shot separately, the way that it cuts together is a little awkward sometimes. So um, Ramon says, how is the doctor floating? Nodramia says that they need to bag it and get it off the ship. Uh, which is really strange because it just spoke. It told them about the asteroid. Yeah. Josephine says they have to be careful. And then the torso just starts convulsing and screaming. As you do. As you do. But we don't actually know what happens between the end of this part and the next part because it immediately cuts to Ramon, who has a garbage bag that he is uh, bringing with him to the airlock. Uh, basically, they're going to put the body parts out into space. Um, by the way, the bag that he has is much smaller than the torso that we saw <laughs> in the brief. I mean, it's noticeably smaller, right? Right. 
So, uh, so I guess what they did is after the doctor screamed, they chopped him into bits. Is that what we're supposed to think? I have no idea. Yeah, it's a little hard to say. So uh, Ramon is talking to Nadramia. Uh, he's heading to the airlock. He puts on a spacesuit, Mo. Pretty decent oh looking spacesuit. <laughs> if, if you if, say so. If your comparison point is John Carpenter's Dark Star. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, look, it's a spacesuit at the very least, recognizably so. Sure. The drama is like, have you gotten rid of the body yet? He's having trouble because the fucking uh, bag, the garbage bag, it keeps convulsing. Right. <laughs> and she's, Josephine said, says that she pronounced him dead on sight, that it's just a post-mortem spasm, but it's just like constantly twitching. <laughs> and here's the thing, like he puts this spacesuit on, but he doesn't put a helmet on. Mm-hmm. And then he realized, oh, he's not actually going out. You know, and, and uh, it's like the whole thing is so confusing. Like it's very he, confusing, unnecessarily. Yeah, so yeah, like if his plan wasn't to go out the airlock to begin with, then why is he putting a suit on? And then it turns out he was supposed to go out into the airlock so that he could guide the bag so it didn't hit some satellite or whatever. Right. And then he decides. And then once he re- he decompresses the uh, uh, the airlock, he throws up or falls to the ground seizing or something like that. Like he's, he has a physical reaction to what happens to the body. So it's really strange because like you said, there's this, all this talk about like you were supposed to be in the airlock to guide it, to make sure it didn't take out our communication system. But then he puts it in the airlock and blows it out and it doesn't hurt the communication system. So that's all about nothing. The decompression that's supposed to happen to the body. So when it happens, we actually see it. And it, like the the head of the doctor looks creepy and weird, but it is a <laughs> decapitated head. It's going to look pretty creepy and weird anyway. Right, exactly. So like you said, he vomits, uh, but he does seem relieved after having it done. He tells Nadramia that the body cleared the satellite, and she says to meet her in her room. You know what that means, Mo. <laughs> Ow! Hubba hubba. So Nadramia actually uh, does not want to do that. She's meeting with a number of the crew in her room and basically tells them to relax, to remember their emergency training. Josephine is freaking out already, though. She doesn't even really know what's up at this point. None of them really do. Um, We get a shot of them posing as they walk through the halls of the ship. And this is the most... CD-ROM computer game from the mid-90s section of this entire movie. (laughs) Nadramia is, is again, she's the lead security person. She tells them all to stay close to her. They walk through the corridor behind her, uh, except for Pete. We'll get to him in a minute. Um, And they get to a hatch. Leon knocks on it. Pete comes out. He basically already recognizes that some shit is going down. And they tell him to come to the observation lab since all the blood stains from the doctor, they lead right there. Yeah, and, and Pete has a great little quip where he's like, well, then why do we want to go there? Yeah. <laughs> so they go to the observation lab, Mo. And the asteroid is still there. They all have their future guns drawn, Mo. Ramon looks inside the asteroid. He discovers that it's hollow. When And he's confused because the doctor said there was something inside. Um, Pete thinks it doesn't make any sense because the thing is like a million years old. And they think maybe it was hibernating. Nadramia tells him to shut up. She hears a sound, Mo. And then the big old demon creature appears behind her. Yeah. It's very scary, Mo. It's really not. It starts spinning around and it looks goddamn ridiculous. Mm-hmm. 
And they all shoot at it, and you know what? That looks even fucking worse. Yeah, the... Okay, so... Mm-hmm. As bad as the CG is in this, the audio, especially, like, the Foley work, is just the fucking worst. It's like, just the honest, same gun blast sounds again and again It's the same again. gun blast sound that just sounds like a fucking... Like, it doesn't even sound like, like an MP3. It sounds like, like a chip file, you know? <laughs> like, it's like nothing. <laughs> so, the creature uh, disappears for a second. Pete is freaked out, and he says this. That thing was huge! Did anybody get a good look at that thing? <laughs> what is that? Huh? 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 Okay, okay. Um, uh, do we have any more weapons that I could borrow? Uh, I don't, I, I, I don't want to die. <laughs> uh, ooh, okay. So that's Pete's big acting scene. <laughs> mm. it, it does kind of give a sense of his character, but unfortunately, you won't have to enjoy his character uh, for much longer. So the creature pops up again. Josephine, who's been incredibly nervous this whole time, she points her gun at it, starts shooting. Then a weird, like, red blast of something pops out of the creature's head. And Josephine is psychically forced to point her gun at Pete instead. And she pulls the trigger and kills Pete. Yup. She seems very upset by this mo. Well, I mean, understandably so. Why is that then? Well, she just shot a man in the head. I know the last time I shot a man in the head, I was very upset about it. Well, I shot a man in Renomo just to watch him die. Yeah, well, you know. The crew are know. horrified by what they see here, but they none of them like blame her. They realize that she was uh, manipulated into doing this. Right. But she is uh, fit to be tied. Um, so Leon tells all the crew to get out of there. Uh, but the creature before they leave says, you are Ramon. She knows which one of them is Ramon now, Mo. That's a problem because he's on her shit list. Well, she's on her, on his to-do list. Yes. To-do list. <laughs> I guess shit list isn't the, the accurate way of do, putting it. Now they right. all run out of the room and it looks like they're all together, but somehow they get separated immediately because the next sequence has Leon. Uh, he's with Nadramia and he's calling Ramon and Josephine on the intercom. So they're on the the hallway outside well, what, the flip. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what what happens is that uh, Ramon, I believe Ramon says real quick that he's going to go and get Josephine. Yes, and that gonna... that's why that's why they got split up. But then, like, she doesn't go with him. Yeah. So yeah. it's basically now there's only four uh, characters left on the ship, and so we have Leon and Nadramia. In one room, and they're they're at the flight deck. They're trying to get into it, but Pete has locked them out. And then we have Ramon and Josephine. Uh, Ramon's trying to comfort her because she's still really inconsolable. Mm. So they're basically messaging to see if they, if Ramon or Josephine, know Pete's passcode to get into his um, into the flight deck. And that leads to this. Does anyone know his passcode? You? No. No, no. we don't know it. Hoon Tang. <laughs> hey, Leon. Try Poon Tang. 
she tearfully, in a very serious manner, has to say Poontang Mo. Well, I I actually feel bad for Fabian Rush in this in this scene because he has to say it like sympathetically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so that they do put it in and it does work. And they get into the room and they basically tell Ramon and Josephine that it's not safe where they are and to go into one of the storage rooms and hide until they come to get him. So mm-hmm. Ramon agrees with that. Josephine's still really upset. Ramon basically is just telling her there's nothing that anyone could have done about it and it wasn't her fault. And then, Mo, remember how you said before that Josephine is a Christian? Mm-hmm. Dark-sided! <laughs> <laughs> so uh, she asks Ramon if he believes in God. Uh, and she tells a story about when she was a child, she used to believe in angels that lived in the clouds and could fly and could protect her from anything bad. She wishes she still believed in that, Mo. Relatable content? Uh, no, my notes say that she's an idiot. <laughs> anyway, this is no budget atheists. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Ramon quite rightly says, hey, it's not a good time to talk about this. They need to go to a safe place. They stand up. She has a flashback of shooting Pete and falls to her knees. He hugs her. He tells her to wait there. Boy, this is a bad idea. He tells her to wait there and catch her breath while he goes to make sure that the room is safe. He leaves this traumatized person, Mo, by herself while a demon is running around the ship. I don't know how this could have gone bad. Yeah, while a demon who can appear to see into your mind and make those visions that you're interested in appear. Yeah. And this idiot was just talking about believing in God. So, So. that then leads... To the dumbest thing in this entire fucking movie. (laughs) Without a doubt. And that's not even just the atheist in me talking. This is a dumb scene. This is really bad. So what happens is, Josephine has a vision of being inside a church. Now, this is a still image of a church that she's inside. And the color is all washed out. I don't know what's going on there. Mm. She touches the cross around her neck, Mo. And then Jesus Christ appears in front of her in uh, what Soundgarden would call a Jesus Christ post. (laughs) (laughs) As as Scott Stapp from Creed would reshoot an entire video because there aren't enough of them. (laughs) She falls to her knees, crosses herself, Mo, and then says the Lord's Prayer. Now, Mo, do you know the Lord's Prayer? Yeah. Yeah, let's hear it. Our Father, Lord in Heaven. Okay. No. Jesus approaches her. She looks up to him in awe, Mo. Mm -hmm. He caresses her head. And then what happens? (laughs) He promptly shoves his cock into her mouth. No, I'm just kidding. Mo! Nothing that... This is not the serial rapist version of Jesus Christ that we are so familiar with here on the No Budget Nightmares podcast and who we are not a fan of whatsoever. This This is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's here to help us out. And he (laughs) grips Josephine's head. Yeah, and just twists it around. And it's Mm. fucking ridiculous looking. And like, so it's one of those things where he twists it all the way around so that her head is now facing backwards. Uh Uh-huh. And then um, her eyes roll back into her head. Uh Uh-huh. And not and not like in like a really cool like Undertaker sort of way, but like in a in a 
in a CG, they fucking make her eyes go white. It's so dumb looking. And then I believe uh, Ramon walks back in just in time and he uh, shoots Jesus several times, including once in the head. Right in the forehead, as one does. Mm-hmm. Jesus just responds with, hello, Ramon, in the voice of the demon thing. And Ramon <laughs> runs away, as well he should. Yeah. He starts, as he's running away from the demon, to run in slow motion, a la Garth Marenghi. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he ends up in a black void with the creature appearing before him with many arms and says, in my presence you will tremble. Before me you will bow. He falls to his own knees, most shaking. He tries to grab his gun. He eventually does, takes off through a door, and then it goes right back to the beginning of the movie, Mo. Remember when something was chasing Ramon and he was in the yep. uh, that room and he puts a gun in his mouth and he pulls the trigger and we hear a bang noise at the beginning. So, of course, he managed to successfully kill himself. Nope. What happens, Mo? Nothing. Well, something does happen. Well, the gun clicks. There's no bullets. And uh, and then he starts, uh, he falls down to his knees and starts saying that he's sorry. Yes, he says he's sorry again and again. Then we cut to Nadramia. She sent a distress message about time. Uh, Liana proves. Nadramia wonders if, um, if Ramon and Josephine made it to the storage rooms, but Leon isn't sure. Um, Nadramia finds a picture of Leon as a hunter. This is very important, Mo. He used Barry. to go every season. This is all character development, which probably should have happened before a demon was hunting them down and killing them. Right. <laughs> and uh, as if to speak my own mind, Nadramia says, enough of this sentimental shit. She's going to get a bigger gun. Um, and so she tells Leon to stay where he is. She's going to get a gun. Um, and then as she leaves, or after she leaves, someone pops up on the, um, the, the video screen in the uh, pilot area of the ship. And it was a person on Earth who's received the distress call. And that leads to this conversation. What seems to be the problem? Look, we're trapped on a research vessel. You're not going to believe this, man. We picked up an alien life form and it's killed almost my entire crew, except for me and my weapon specialist. I'm sorry. So, it's interesting. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's interesting that in most science fiction movies, they would not believe them. And right. would, would, like, look at this with, like, total skepticism um, and refuse to come help. But in this case, they're like, oh, shit, uh, an alien. We're going to come save you guys. Right? Exactly. So, I mean, good on them for that. What happens next, Mo? Uh, then we've got a shot of uh, Ramon, who seems to be waking up, and uh, an alien shoots bolts of lightning into him, which makes him... <laughs> Imagine a, uh, a a fine suburban home uh, mm-hmm. with a with a lovely woman uh, baking cookies for him and his friends. He's having a flashback to his own childhood, Mo. Sure, as one does. Basically, this uh, this fantasy is supposed to uh, coax him out of hiding, which he does. Then come out of hiding because he's an idiot, and then he gets blasted by electricity again. Hmm. The demon says this. God said, let us make humanity in our image, in the likeness of ourselves. So listeners, you may be curious about why there's so much religious talk in this movie. 
Well, the reason is that's what this movie is all about. Not that it's some sort of faith-based movie, but it's really about God and the reality of what God is in the context of the universe. And we're going to oh, get a... Oh, stop, Doug. We all know that Bible Man jumps out two seconds later and kills the demon. That would be amazing. But unfortunately, yeah. that isn't what happens here. Uh, Willie, it's about... a- Willie Ames would have been a great get. <laughs> that's right. And you could probably get Scott Bayo to, to come together for a... Uh, Charles in Charge reunion. A zap reunion. A zap reunion. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, the creature puts Ramona in his chair, hovers in front of him, and basically uh, he apologizes, says he didn't mean to disturb her rest, and she says, there was no rest for me in this prison. She starts spinning around again. It looks idiotic. Um, and she says, I am a malicious thing, an incarnation of hatred, bent on destroying all the things spawned from the light. So, you know, a bad guy. <laughs> I don't know. I, I kind of like her ideas. Nadramia, she does indeed get a big gun from her quarters. Uh, she points it at things just to show that it's a big gun. And then she says, computer, show me the surveillance video of the observation lab. That will become AC- important a little Then bit. ACDC starts playing and, you know. Yes. That is. No, that's not what happens, Mo. Oh. So Ramon is sitting in total darkness. Every once in a while, a, while, a light pulses around him. He gets up and walks around. There are sort of clouds surrounding him. And he runs into Dr. McPherson, or basically kind of like a rotten version of Dr. McPherson. Yeah. Someone wearing a loose Dr. McPherson suit. Uh, He's been resurrected. Now he's speaking in a very odd manner. Uh, He's been given the great honor to help usher in a new era. So this now leads, Mo, to an avalanche of backstory and uh, and information regarding what the fuck is happening, who these people are, and what yeah. they're all about. Yeah, the doc. Uh, the doc becomes a character that uh, that me and my friends, when we used to watch movies together, we used to we always have this one. There would always be that one character who would spit out like just a ton of exposition. Sure. And and we always named that character Joe Exposition. So he basically <laughs> becomes Joe Exposition now, and like for the next like five straight minutes, he just goes on and on and on about the the bullshit and all this nonsense. So let's hear what Dr. Exposition has to say. Dr. Exposition. Before Genesis, before the creation of light, there was an expanse of darkness. <laughs> and in it were the immortal gods who wrote the pages of reality. Their purpose was to give shape to the void. But one of them deviated from their peaceful ways. This god was a selfish god. He wanted all the power of the pantheon to himself. So to destroy them all... I mean, it just goes on and on. I'm going to end it. I'm just going to cut it off there. Yeah, just cut it. Let's summarize. (laughs) Basically, in the beginning, there were a bunch of gods. Not just the god that uh, certain religions believe in here on Earth. Not just that Yahweh guy. Yeah, exactly. But one of the gods was selfish, and he basically imprisoned all the other gods in asteroids. I mean, this is a really simplified version, but you get what I'm saying. And went on and created Earth. And because everything was darkness before, the fact that uh, the first thing he created was a bunch of light really pissed off these guys. And they've been trapped ever since. And the god that created our universe is actually, apparently, just a big selfish asshole. Yeah, they did. They, they go. On, they describe uh, his action in creating the universe as a terrorist act against yes. the realms of the gods. 
it was 2010 when they made this movie. Everyone was talking about terrorist acts. Um, mm. And she uh, says, your God is dead. I will see to it personally that he falls. So she also reveals that she was the queen of the Pantheon. Basically, uh, she was the wife of the God um, who ended up creating uh, the heavens and the earth mo. Right. So well, let's cut away from that because it's so goddamn boring. So um, back on Earth, a lieutenant has reviewed the footage that they have been sending, that Leon has been sending to them, and says that they're going to dispatch a rescue team, but they still need more information. Um, and they say that they can't attempt to rescue because they're so close to the asteroid belt. They need to be uh, in a safe distance away. And they can't actually move since the backup generator is gone. So he wants Leon to get into an escape pod, basically do whatever he has to do, to get off the ship. I don't know if you notice something funny about the person that he's talking to on this video screen, or the person from Earth. Do I notice something funny? Something funny about this uh, character. I didn't find anything funny about him, so I, I don't know. <laughs> he's not a very amusing character. However, no. one thing is amusing. It keeps cutting back and forth between him and Leon, and sometimes he's wearing glasses, and other times he has no glasses, and it just oh. keeps <laughs> switching off his face and returning. Again wow. and again and again, which is exactly the sort of shit. Again, I'm not blaming Fabian Rush for this because uh, that's how movies are sometimes. You would, of course, love to shoot that again. But I guarantee you, when he was editing this together, he noticed it and he, he just said, God damn you, old man. <laughs> <laughs> Put on glasses or take them off. Don't switch them around. <clears throat> so anyway. Yeah, well, th- this, is, this is what the job of the script supervisor is for. So, yeah. <laughs> You got to do what you got to do. So basically, basically these uh, people from Earth said that they're going to give Leon and his crew three hours to evacuate. Then they're going to vaporize anything within a hundred kilometer radius. So that's the way things are going to be. So uh, remember Dr. McPherson, or as I like to call him, Dr. Exposition Mo. (laughs) I wonder where you got that idea from. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I I remember Dr. Exposition. Yes. He's still telling the fucking story He's about the creation still of the universe. Going on about it goes it. on and on and on. Uh, so, anyway, the planet that they have discovered the remnants of, like the ancient civilization, that was apparently Eden. Am I getting this correct? Yeah. 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 And so, anyway, that's part of the mythology of it. Ramon, by the way, not too convinced by this whole thing. He says, You're lying. Am I now? sure you have your reasons i'm a god i don't need reasons your species originated on this planet at the hands of your god it's some really silly shit i have to say Uh. um so ramon says that there are millions of asteroids out there how is he supposed to find the ones that she's looking for and then it they get to the point where remember they had that special metal in them that they couldn't identify Yeah, so yeah. that's going to be the key to finding uh, the other gods that are trapped out there. And she wants to bring them onto the ship and release them. Um, and when Ramon realizes that she needs him, he does the last thing on Earth he should have done, which is basically gloat. <laughs> and says that he doesn't have to praise or worship her since, uh, since uh, she can't do this without his help. And he says, I'm not going to give you help. You can go to hell. Yeah, he basically just says, make me. Yeah, make me. Remember, she can create fantasies in your brain to make you do whatever you... I don't know why she doesn't use that skill a little bit more. All right. <laughs> so, um, 
Dr. McPherson, again, in his controlled form, uh, says that there's going to be tremendous consequences to Ramon not doing what she says, and those consequences are the death of the whole universe, (laughs) since she says that she can destroy in minutes what Yahweh created in seven days. Ramon says that there's no force that can destroy the universe in minutes, and uh, the Doctor Exposition says, oh yeah, check this out, and then we see a CG planet Mo, and then he says this. And God said, let there be darkness. That is obviously Fabian Rush putting his voice through a... (laughs) Through a, uh, uh, some sort of of tonal shift. And, uh, then we see a bunch of planets explode. Mo, how does this look? Um, in a word, uh, cheese ball. The first one looks okay, and it gets progressively worse as we see planet after planet explode. Mm-hmm. In one of the explosions, like the explosion itself, it cuts off before the bottom of the frame, so it's just this like flat piece at the end of it. I was having I was having a real Dragon Ball moment when I when I was uh, taking my notes because I described how he takes out the sun as a Kamehameha wave. Okay, and it just just made me laugh. I, I needed to entertain myself while I was taking these notes because this uh, it, the, I just can't. <laughs> Well, seeing I, the, I was already fucking done with this movie by the time I had gotten to this point. I well, hate to say it. We're getting through it. So, I mean, that's yeah, good. Yeah, we are. So, Ramon is shook, Mo. <laughs> he, he did not enjoy seeing the end of the universe like that. The he fucking t- faces he's pulling are great, though. Yeah, he's... Well, I mean, that was the other thing about So More To Be. Fabian Rush has a great face for expressiveness. Right, yeah. So, uh, he tells the demon not to do that. Uh, he asks if she could be persuaded otherwise if he finds and frees the other gods and she agrees. So there's an agreement. He'll release these gods, which are probably going to end the universe anyway, but at least she won't immediately just turn off the light. As N- Nelly Furtado once said. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nadramia, uh, she's looking for file names that have been... Anyway, she, she basically discovers some information about the lab today, which is that the doctor found those glyphs, those symbols on the asteroid. Right. Uh, and she asked the computer about it, but she's basically putting two, to, two and two together, which is that the glyphs worked as sort of like a seal that kept the gods inside. It's something that, that she could use to control the gods. It's what every human wants to dis- to destroy the gods. <laughs> <laughs> so she goes to Leon, he tells him all this stuff. He... Uh, uh, he lets her know that Earth is going to blow up everything in the next three hours. She tells him, you were supposed to get them to rescue us. That goes like this. You were supposed to get them to rescue us. That fucking accent. Whoops. <laughs> we can't risk a rescue this close to the asteroid belt. Come on, Dramia. So they go to try to get into an escape pod. And... Um, she, uh, meeting the Dramia, she refuses to leave without Ramon or Josephine because she doesn't know Josephine's dead yet. And yeah. uh, Leon basically says, we have three hours to find them and get off the ship. So Ramon goes searching for asteroids, and he uh, manages to find 19 of them. Yeah, I was going to say, he finds a whole bunch. And then the problem is uh, he goes to send the Roboclaw out to go get them, and it won't work. So now he needs Nadramia to fix it, and it's like... You know, yeah, he's upset about this. By the way, he knows that he's fucked. Yeah. By but, the way, the nineteen that he finds, those are not like all of them. There's apparently hundreds of them, but the demon right. says that'll do for now. Right. 
So uh, he says that Nadramia is the only one who could fix it. The demon says, we'll find her. So Nadramia and Leon, they're looking through the ship. They do find Josephine's body um, with her head still pointed the wrong way around. (laughs) (laughs) They go to check out the storage room since that's where Ramon was supposed to hide. They look inside. It's empty. And Nadramia uh, says to Leon that they they could use the holographic machines around the, uh, the ship to basically put the glyphs anywhere that they want in order to contain the god or gods, I should say. Right. So Leon actually has a plan that instead of using the escape pods, they'll use Dr. McPherson's ship since it's faster than their escape pods, which is a pretty good idea. It's smart. And then they head into the research lab, which I guess would lead into that ship, and the asteroid is still there. Now, we are heading towards near the end of the movie, Mo. How are you feeling about it so far? <laughs> I'm exhausted. It's just so much going on here. Yeah, and- I forgot. I like you know, like I watched this movie a week ago. So, because obviously stuff was going on, so we couldn't record last week, but like having it all flood back to me and like having to remember just how goddamn dense this movie is with how much stuff. The biggest problem is that this movie is obviously meant to be more than a single movie. That there is like an overarching idea and like there's a lot of creativity here and I want to I want to give it credit for that. But the problem is that creativity does not uh, translate well to the kind of movie that this is, which is kind of like an intimate space action movie. Right. So slowing things down to a crawl to give tons of exposition kind of hurts the pacing is what I should say. Hmm. Anyway, <laughs> the creature appears to two of them. They are now in the uh, the uh, research area. They ask which one of the uh, Ramon. Um, so so the creature asks Ramon which of them is Nadradia, uh, Nadrami, I should say. He says the female. Leon and Nadrami they sneak around. Uh, Ramon comes out and he basically tells them to run, but they don't know what the hell he's talking about. They tell him to come with them, and then right. the creature yanks Ramon back. Gong show style, I have here. (laughs) (laughs) And starts spinning ridiculously in front of them. Leon and Adramia, they shoot at it, does nothing, it vanishes. Uh, Leon calls out for Ramon. Ramon says, No, please. And he's been impaled on something. It looks really weird. He he has something stuck through him. Um, Nadramia finds him. The green screen's really terrible here. It looks like her face is melting off because it's (laughs) because of how bad it is. She pulls him off whatever he's been embedded on, um, and Leon tells her to get Ramon out of there. So Leon then searches through the halls of the ship, occasionally shooting at nothing in particular, when suddenly he is stuck in a vision. Mo, what's his vision? Oh, uh, what is he dreaming of? He's dreaming that he's hunting. Yes. So this is what you were saying before, Mo, a sequence that was shot in the out of doors. Right. And this this is the first one, I believe. There's like one or two more before the end of the movie, but this is the first one. And it's so jarring to go from all of that CG to, to going to an actual like outdoor shot um, that it like, it's like, it even takes you further out of the whole thing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, he's pretend he's uh, where, where's my notes. (laughs) I forget where I am here, but yeah. Okay. So the queen imagine makes him imagine he's out running. Um, Nadrami is trying to patch up Ramon. 
they said it looks bad, and uh, but she tells me he's gonna be all right. He's not. Yeah, he's not. Um, he says he's dying. She tells him tells him to stay awake. Yeah, basically don't fall asleep because you're probably gonna die. Right. She goes off to find Leon, but of course Leon is stuck in his fantasy, and as she comes to uh, get him, he starts shooting at her because he is confused because that's what happens. Uh, right. I don't know what he thinks he's supposed to be shooting. Yeah. At. I, I the, guess maybe like a deer or something. We never see yeah, anything, but, but, but the, the, the rate of fire that it would take to shoot at a deer, you know, versus what he was shooting at her is off. I've heard you, you mean you've never been to the United States South. Um, so no, I no, I only live there. <laughs> so at one point, by the way, he shoots a bullet and it's slow motion goes through her back out through her shoulder. Mm. Um, and so she does get shot. He's still running around the woods. She goes back to see Ramon, but he's starting to pass out, says that he's very tired. She says, Nadramia says that she's going to fly both of them to safety. And then Ramon asks where Leon is. Leon is actually on some train tracks, Mo. And I think right. he's starting to realize that something is up. Um, and in fact, uh, he says, come on, kill me. And then he suddenly snaps out of his fantasy. And where is he, Mo? Oh, I don't know. On the ship somewhere, I guess. He's, on, he's in the airlock. Oh, yeah, he's in the airlock. That's the one. And the demon jettisons him into space, and it's very fucking silly. <laughs> also, you know, like, he's, like, one of the better characters in this movie, so now we're just stuck with fucking Nadramia and Ramon. <laughs> yeah, you know, the funny thing is, I must have missed the part where he woke up in the airlock, because... Yeah. because uh, It's actually really confusing in the context of the movie. I actually had to go back a couple of times to kind of figure out what was supposed to be going on. Oh, maybe I should have actually gone back and rewatched it. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, you know, that that re- rewind button just doesn't exist when I'm watching these movies. Um, but yeah, all I remember is him with a knife and shouting, "Come on, kill me!" You know, like, yeah, yeah. you know, not not quite as ridiculous as Arnold in Predator, but uh, come on, I, uh, come on, do it, <laughs> kill me now, yeah. Um, but um, but then I just remember seeing a a body or like a really poorly CG like shadow <laughs> of a body like leaving the airlock, and it didn't even fucking occur to me that it was the captain. Yup. Yep. So uh, Nadramia is with Ramon still, telling him that uh, they can leave. Um, the creature arrives, says, "Come to me, Nadramia." Uh, but she makes the computer show those glyphs and traps the creature. And Ramon basically says to her that he can't go with her because he's basically already dead. He's lost too much blood. Booyah. Uh, and she says that uh, he can come anyway. And he says this. You don't want my carcass floating around on that little ship the whole way home, do you? So, yeah, she basically has to accept the fact that she can either take his corpse with her or just leave him behind. Um he doesn't want her to see him dead, which is actually a pretty poignant thing to say to somebody. Um, mm-hmm. And he tells her to get out of there. It's so funny because the, the idea is like they have some sort of relationship and you expect that she's going to say something like, I love you. But instead she says this. You. You are a wonderful friend. Yeah, you're a wonderful friend, Bo. It- Fucking ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> you know how these Russians are. They just don't like to express a lot of emotion. Uh, that's not what I hear, but yeah. <laughs> so, Ramon's there dying. Uh, the Dramia has taken off. Uh, the, the creature basically talks to Ramon as he sits there. 
Um, she says something to him that I find very confusing. Sure. Yeah, she says to him, um, if she sets him free, or if he sets her free, she'll let him die with a smile on his face. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, and it's like, is she going to fuck him? Is, is that <laughs> I what think the idea about? is that she'll give him some sort of fantasy that'll allow him I, to, to die I, happy. I, I guess. guess, okay. I mean, who wouldn't want to fuck a god? I mean, I, I remember what Gozar looked like in fucking, you know, Ghostbusters. I'm just saying. <laughs> so... They have a little back and forth. Um, he says, how can you expect me to believe that the God who created the whole universe was evil? And she talks about, you know, the fact that, that she knew love in the form of the God that kind of betrayed her uh, and that she was meant to be queen of the pantheon. And um, and and he says that she, he can kind of understand her pain. And so they have kind of a moment. Um, his last words to her is, I hope you find peace. And then um, he dies. And then the camera zooms in on each of their faces and her eye lights go out. So I guess she dies too. I so, no, I don't know. She about goes that. to sleep at the very least. Yeah, she's yeah. <laughs> so it's, shit's about to get really silly, folks. So listen in. <laughs> Nadramia, she's uh, here's back from Earth. Uh, they've sent a rescue ship. He, uh, they ask about her captain. Uh, sh- they say that the ship will be there in about a week. Uh, she says that uh, if they in- try to destroy it, that it's going to set the uh, god loose and. Uh, and they just say, you need to rest. We'll see you soon. So, right. And and then they order to fire. Yeah. They blow up the ship. Yep. And while they while this is playing, we hear Josephine. Remember, she told us about that angels in the clouds and stuff. We hear her say that again. Okay. Yeah. I, I found this really trite. Like, I mean, we don't, like, look, I understand that attention spans and memories are real short these <laughs> days. But, I mean, like, I, I don't need to be reminded of something that was said 20 fucking minutes ago. Okay, so... <clears throat> what What's about to happen, folks? I can't, I can't even believe I'm going to say the things I'm going to say. Right. Like, oh, God. Like Go that, yeah. Just pretend Pantheon Black just ended, and now we're starting something anew. <laughs> yeah, so we get a really, really bad composite shot of, like, uh, of like a modern-day space shuttle. Yeah, from, like, like this just, time period. Yeah, from this time period, someone's kind of floating around in there, uh-huh. and uh, a face pops up and tells him that there's an issue in sector or whatever, and that yes. they can't help him because that's out of range. But he urges them to come to the cockpit anyway. Yes, something's going on on Earth. Yeah, there's some sort of disturbance in the upper atmosphere. They have to re- identify it and report it. Yeah. So <laughs> we see we can see like the surface of the Earth, and there's some sort of spinny thing on it. Yeah. So the captain, uh, the guy who was floating around was the captain, I guess, and his number one guy. They look out the front windows of their spaceship, Mo, and it's the goddamn shittiest, most awful looking thing you will... It, it, it's very Birdemic levels. It's they, fucking they, They've rough. just taken a photo of a spaceship and they have cut out these two like portholes and just stuck yeah. their heads in there. And yep. my God, does it look bad. It, yeah. So the, the captain's looking out, and he says, what are they? And the other guy says, I have no idea. He says, they're beautiful, like birds or fireflies, maybe. Yeah, a whole cavalry of fireflies. Anyway, the captain seems transfixed by whatever is appearing on the surface of the Earth. Right. Then we then, get to the other shot. Yes, of actual. In, of actual Earth. And there's a soldier there. And yes. the soldier takes a call. And this is another fucking shitty hologram call. From the captain of the ship. 
that we yeah. just for the one we just saw, the one on like the the modern day Earth. One. Right. And he asks if they're launching nukes and yeah. he confirms they aren't. And then some creature falls out of the falls out of the sky with a shriek. And of course, my notes say I'm guessing this is an angel. Uh-huh. It's like pure white, it hits the ground. The soldier looks very confused, picks up his gun. Then he kneels next to this very strange-looking creature, and it says this. And protect you. It can't protect us anymore, Mo. It points upwards, and then we see there are like dozens of things hitting the surface of the earth all around the world. We get a wide shot and there's just like tons of them hitting the earth. And that's the end of the movie. How do you interpret what we just saw at the end of this movie? Um, well, uh, -huh. <laughs> I think the idea they're trying to uh, get past is that the, uh, that when they blew up the ship, and the whole resulting area, they not only destroyed the means of locking the quote unquote queen God mm -hmm. up, but also uh, the uh, the prisons of several other of these gods as well. Yeah. And then they all launched an all out assault on the earth. I think that's probably the best way to interpret this goddamn nonsense. <laughs> yeah. And but, apparently, apparently Josephine was right. Yeah, Josephine was right the whole time. It was the angels, Mo. We should have put our money on the angels. Mm. But we didn't. And instead... And it's crazy, too, because I've seen angels in the outfield. Like, I know that they win. Hmm. I'm going to shut up. In the arms nope. of an nope. angel. Nope. Nope. No? No. Well, well I say yes, Mo. Uh, so that's the... <laughs> That then leads into the closing credits. We get the ID tags of each of the crew members. Um, and then after that, it goes into a traditional closing credits. Is there anything of note, Mo, in the closing credits? You know for a fact that I didn't watch the closing credits. I never do. Well, I'll tell you, Mo, there actually is another shot after the end of the closing credits. Oh, well, I didn't see it. It just shows the demon creature once more. And then it cuts to black again. Cool. It cuts to Pantheon Black. Wow. Pantheon Black was released in the year 2010, Mo. Uh, Fabian Raja, I think, dove more into his music after the release of this film, and uh, but has now kind of combined his two loves and now makes uh, basically feature-length music videos. Very exciting. And I actually, and a lot of that material is also shot against green screens. I can tell you it looks a lot better than what we had back here in 2010. But, Mo, what oh, I want to know from you is, what did you think of Pantheon Black from the year 2010? I'll tell you what. I, I wasn't mm -hmm. a fan. Yeah, I thought that uh, a lot of the acting was chintzy. I, I didn't really care for for the plot. I, I, you know, like, I don't care for movies with religious themes to begin with, for the most part. It, like, it has to be done really fucking well for me to give a shit about it. And, like, I, I just, I just, there was just so much about this movie that I just didn't care about. And that, that really upset me because 
you know, like I remember watching so more to be, and I didn't particularly care for it when I first saw it. And then I went back and I watched it again and I really enjoyed it. And for some reason, you know, given that movie, I expected this one to have more comedy to it, you know? And, um, and I was really off put by the amount of CG that was used. Like, honestly, like you made this movie funny and turned the big fucking evil, you know, queen alien, whatever the fuck she was into a giant puppet. I would have fucking loved it. <laughs> you know? I mean, I think you're getting at the core of what my biggest issue with Pantheon black is, which is that it's just too serious and there's it's nothing wrong serious. with making a serious movie, but it, it starts out with the idea that it's not going to be that serious. Um, and it feels a lot more comfortable with not being serious because when it has to kind of embrace the plot and the ideas at its core, all it can do is kind of sit you down and tell you it, and it just gets very tedious. And it mm. kind of makes you feel like it's a little bit up its own ass a bit, you know? And that's a, a weird thing. Bit. Because one of the things that made So More to Be such an entertaining movie is that it's very unpretentious. But this right. movie has a kind of level of pretension to it that makes it um, difficult to enjoy. Exactly. It feels more like a short story, like a science fiction short story that someone wrote rather than a fully fleshed out movie. Right. So I have to agree with you, Mo. I didn't enjoy it. I'm actually shocked at how much I didn't enjoy Pantheon Black. And again, I don't think this is down to uh, its technical limitations. Uh, I think that even with like the poor CG and even with the poor green screen, that if it was just a little bit more entertaining, I could forgive all that. But when you already have these kind of technical problems, Putting a lot of story issues on top of it just makes it really a difficult watch from start to finish. Right. So I have to say, on our patented No Budget Nightmares uh, ranking system of 1 to 730, I give it a 12 mo. <laughs> That's awfully high. Mm, it's not bad. How about yourself? Oh, I would, I would probably have to give it like, you know. Three stars. Yeah, I'd, I'd give it three stars and a boop on the snoop. <laughs> so that was Pantheon Black from the year 2010, Mo. A bummer. A big bummer, Mo. Uh, it, it was a shame because I was really looking for... I've been like, this is one of those movies I've been kind of looking forward to covering for a long time. And like anytime it came up, I'd always be like, yeah, let's cover that. Because, you know, we wanted to do another Fabian Rush film. Um, Yeah, just a, just a bit of a shame that... uh. You know that it that it was that it just wasn't that good. It wasn't to be, but I'll tell you what is to be, Mo. The next film that we're going to cover on the No mm. Budget Nightmares podcast, and I have to say, I'm actually extremely excited about this. Yeah, this one looks interesting. This is a film from the year 1991, really in that kind of shot on video era sweet spot, right? And this is a film that I recently saw a trailer for, or actually, I saw some footage uh, in a collection of trailers. And my understanding is I think there's going to be a, uh, a remastered version of this coming out uh, fairly soon. So uh, if, if you have not watched it or don't have it available to you, you should be able to get it very soon. This is a movie directed by Betty Stapleford, if that is your real name. It's a movie called Zombie Army from the year 1991, Mo. Yeah. Zombie Army. And I do have to say, like, the, the footage I've seen of this makes it look absolutely amazing. Whether it will actually be, well, that's for us to find out. Yeah. Uh, it certainly has a good pedigree in regards to the time it was made. I mean, 
it, you know, this is very much in that uh, J.R. Bookwalter, Todd Sheets, you know, the, the kind of golden age of the films that they were putting out. So sure. that's the kind of thing we're going to be comparing it against on the next episode of No Budget Nightmares, Zombie Army from the year 1991. Hot dog. Hot diggity dog. Mo, we're, 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 you want me to, to throw a rope around the moon and just pull it? <laughs> oh, don't, do not. Anyway, <clears throat> <laughs> Mo, where can people find out more about the No Budget Nightmares podcast? Well, I mean, obviously, if they want to jump onto that old Facebook thing that all the kids are doing these days, you know, oh. they could uh, hop on over to Facebook, do a search for No Budget Nightmares, or just go to facebook.com slash groups slash No Budget Nightmares, one word. And you can, of course, go over to NoBudgetPodcast.com if you want to check out our older episodes, if you want to subscribe to us on your various podcast catcher of choice, or if you want to help support us on Patreon. It would really, really help us out if you were to do that. You can also leave us a review on iTunes. That's helpful as well. You can also follow us on Twitter at NoBudgetPodcast, all one word. You could always, of course, follow the great Mo Porn on Twitter. How do you do that, Mo? What's that all about? You know, it's really funny that this is still, this is like the only thing that I'm mo porn on anymore. Uh, even on Twitter, I'm not listed as mo porn. But uh, yeah, you can follow me. I'm at drunk on VHS. And you can follow me. I'm at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T I L L E Y. And of course, you can follow Mo on Facebook if you want to find out a no, shockingly large amount about his private life. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but I, you know, I was I've been I've literally been waiting for that this entire fucking episode. <laughs> and come and send us an email through the website about what you think about that. Um but uh Mo, do you have anything else going on in the world at the moment? Uh honestly, like, you know, there there's a ton of stuff happening at the house here, so uh I haven't really had a much of a chance of doing really anything um except for occasionally playing some monster hunter so that's that's basically been it well mo i have in between the time of the last episode of this show and this one uh i brought uh eric roberts is the fucking man my other podcast to an end uh you can now uh look at the um archived version of Eric Roberts is the fucking man over at ericrobertsthemand.com with 100 episodes to listen to, and then announced a new podcast venture called Cinema Smorgasbord, which is actually a umbrella title for nine different podcasts that are being launched. Uh, it'll be a weekly podcast under the name Cinema Smorgasbord with a podcast devoted to actors such as Steve Buscemi, Jackie Chan, Vic Diaz, Dick Miller, the great Dick Miller, as well as some other interesting podcasts as well, including Eric Roberts is the Man Redux. Yes, it is not disappearing entirely. It will be returning for a series of specials in the near future. Hoping to launch that uh, probably sometime early November. So keep your eyes out for Cinema Smorgasbord. Uh, you can follow that right now on Twitter at Cinema Smorg. That's S-M-O-R-G, Mo. Yeah, I might have some new shit coming out real soon too, but I have no... There's no information on it. It hasn't started yet, so I'm not going to make an official announcement. Just sort of keep your ears here and, uh, you know. Follow the Facebook group. Yeah, follow the Facebook group and any new information that comes out, I'll I'll post on there. Mo, have you watched any movies lately? I feel like I have, but God damn if I can fucking remember. (laughs) You know, I feel like like my entire life has been, you know, home life, Monster Hunter, and like YouTube. Right. 
Yeah. But there's nothing wrong with that. No, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, the, the closest thing to anything, anything real I've been watching is we're, we've been checking out the newest uh, season of American Horror Story, which is a show I never cared for before. Sure. But I really, really enjoy the aesthetics and the theme of uh, of this new season. The latest so, season seems like something that would be a lot more up your alley for sure. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, and, and yeah, I am definitely enjoying that, well, or at least the one episode we watched so far. Um, but, you know, we'll see how the season goes. I've been watching a television show as well, Mo. Oh, yeah? It's a reality television show. It's called Alone. And uh, I had never heard of it before. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of it at all. Um, it's on the History Channel. And basically, if you're, if you're familiar with survival shows, specifically Survivor Man, where mm. one person gets uh, goes out to a really unhospitable area with right. uh, meager resources and has to live for a certain amount of time. Well, this show sends 10 people to an area spread out so they cannot encounter one another. And they have a collection of just kind of 10 things and they just have to survive for as long as possible. And whoever survives the longest gets a half a million dollars and they stay out there for months by wow. themselves, just recording themselves. No one else filming them, just them filming themselves. And I have to say, the show is amazing. It is so wow. good. It really is shockingly um, sedate for a reality show. But the thing right. that makes it so interesting is they start to lose their minds a little because they're just by sure. themselves for months and months and they're surviving on almost no food or water. It, In terms of an exploration of loneliness, I've never seen kind of anything that that uh, that investigates it as much as this show does. Really highly recommended. Huh. I was shocked at how much I'm enjoying it. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. I'm also part of a best of the 90s horror uh, list and roundtable over at the podcast Under the Stairs. Most I've been watching a lot of 90s horror that I had not been watching for quite a while. Uh, so I did watch Event Horizon, which I mentioned earlier in this episode, as well as some other films like The Faculty, Fire in the Sky, The Craft, and Takeshi Miike's Audition Mo. Nice. You like Audition Mo? Yeah, I'm a big fan. Rank it. <laughs> rank it in terms of what? Uh -huh. <laughs> I don't know. Just right, in terms of the, the world. Look, if you consider the best thing on earth is what? Ice cream or sex or something like that. And the worst thing is like Republicans or <gasps> um, uh, dog shit. All right. So where does it fit in the pantheon <laughs> between those two things? Uh, I'd say it ranks uh, around... Uh, mm -hmm. A chocolate dipped ice cream. Cup. Hey, that's pretty good. That's not yeah. bad. That's yeah. pretty great. So everyone should check out Audition. That's the takeaway I want everyone to have from this episode of No Budget Nightmares, Mo. But I think you're getting sick of recording this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's getting late for me. It's getting late for you. I think it's time to bring just this episode to a close. We're going to be back very soon once again with 1991's Zombie Army. Good yeah, I actually, I actually made a uh, promise that uh, I was going to stick with the recording schedule for at least a while before <laughs> I postpone anything again. So yeah, we'll see. <laughs> uh, so so at, the, at the very least, we'll try to be back at you know in two to three weeks. Well, I'm just going to put this out here since you decided to add that. If it's not out in two weeks, you know who to yell at. <laughs> yeah, Doug. That's right. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. This is amazing. <laughs>